Well, C3 Powerhouse, it's a great joy tonight to introduce Pastor Corey Turner to you. Uh, Pastor Corey and his wife Simone are the senior pastors of Numa Church in Melbourne and many uh, locations around the world. Uh, Numa Church is the first Pentecostal church in Australia. It's had a few different names over the years, uh, but was was started many years ago uh, out of a revival that Smith Willsworth was involved in, and a whole lot of miracles. And uh, so there's a there, there's a, a real rich heritage in that church. Uh, Pastor Corey uh, serves on Australian uh, Christian Churches, which was formerly the AOG National Executive. Uh, he's a prophetic voice, a widely respected prophetic voice who travels around the body of Christ ministering and, and particularly in the last while, and he's going to tell us about it tonight and I've been telling you a little bit about it beforehand, but their church has experienced a, a, a God-ordained move of the Holy Spirit, a revival that's that he will, he, I won't do it justice to describe it, but I'm delighted that he's here right now uh, in, because I know what's going on there. And I said to him the other day, can you bring some coals off the fire of your church and throw them on into our church? And we're, we're hungry, we're expectant, we, we honour what God's doing in your church. Uh, we know God doesn't do these things randomly. He chooses people who He can trust. He chooses people who are hungry for Him. He chooses people who He knows will steward something like what you're experiencing. So we want you to treat this church like it's your own. Have at it. Go for it. And we're ready to go. So come on, C3 Power. Put your hands together. For Pastor Corey Turner. Here we go. Hey, hey, hey. How is everyone tonight? You good? Wow. It's powerful presence of God in this place tonight. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 57. And uh, I want to read from verses 14 to 15. And as you've already heard briefly, God is doing something extraordinary and exceptional that is certainly no work of mine or work of man. And uh, we're trying to learn how to steward the presence of God and the move of God. And, and I just want to say it's such an honor to be with you. And I want to thank you for your generosity and hospitality already. And Pastor John and Pastor Danielle and the team, thank you so much for just welcoming us as your family. And you have a really friendly church. So many people have already come up to us. And I, I pray and know that it's not just because we're the guest speakers. Uh, but... Um, Jerry and I are really honored to be here. Isaiah 57, verse 14 and 15. The prophet says, And it shall be said, Build up, build up, prepare the way. Remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I, I want to speak for a few minutes tonight on preparing for revival. I was in prayer just a few weeks ago and uh, our team is currently uh, staff and team praying up to seven hours a day in our church facility and all work uh, pre-revival uh, looks a little bit different <laughs> these days. Um, and we're all trying to just scramble and catch up with what God's doing. But in prayer meeting uh, uh, the other day, um, 
we saw a picture of a vision, an open vision of all these sort of jigsaw pieces. And each of the jigsaw pieces had uh, a map on it. And God particularly highlighted to me and brought close to me this jigsaw piece, and on it was the map of Queensland. And the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, it is time for revival in Queensland. And I'm not saying that tonight because I want you to give a great love offering or I want an invitation back. Um, I'm saying it because it's really interesting over several weeks now since uh, this outpouring in Melbourne, my only ministry has been in Queensland. And a number of our team, even this weekend, we've got other team members up here in, in Brisbane and Queensland. And, and it's like God is saying that I, I really feel that what's happening in Melbourne is about to break out en masse uh, uh, across Queensland. And the last, uh, four weeks ago, I was here on the sunny coast and I was part of an, another church that was not known for these types of outbreaks of the Spirit. And um, the mother of the pastor came up to me and said, in 23 years, she's never seen a move of God like it in the church. And I'm praying, you've already, you've got it. You've got hunger, you've got thirst, you've got heart. I can see that. But how many of us know there's always more in God? There's always more in God. If, you, if you've, you know, been to conference, bought the T-shirt and thought you've worked out God, this God thing, you're about to be messed up, man, because there is more of God. I'm telling you, some of you are going to be so inebriated by the end of this weekend, let alone in the next few minutes. And, and it's glorious. It's beautiful. And, and if you've never tasted and seen how good God is, I want to encourage you, just jump on in, drink, open up your heart. And so August 28th uh, of this year will forever be known in our church as Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, the reason is, is uh, for several years leading up to that day, the prayer and cry of my heart was from Psalm 85, 6, God, will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? And I've been contending and I've been praying and believing. I'm a student of revival and I've been contending and praying and believing for God to move, not just in our churches, not just in a good meeting, but across our cities and nation. Australia needs revival. Australia needs a move of God. The sunny coast needs a greater move of God. And we don't just need one church firing or one movement firing. We need every church. We need every... Uh, and, and we need the Anglicans, the Catholics, the Baptists. We need the Pentecostal church. The Pentecostal church needs revival in this city and nation. And so at midday, during our second service on August 28th, we'd had a lead-in of uh, months of prayer and fasting. We had 24-7 prayer. We had revival nights leading into revival conference. And, and we're in our second service. And and God was moving in our 9 a.m. service, 10-minute break, into the 11 o'clock. And at midday, I went out to the bathroom quickly at the altar call because when revival breaks out, you've got to get your breaks where you can, if you know what I'm talking about. And so I'm out there, and as I'm walking out down the side tunnel, the side of our auditorium, I ask God, I said, God, will you father me? I have a revelation of the Father heart of God. I preach the Father heart of God. But I was asking God to father me at a deeper level. I wasn't asking, will you fill me with your spirit? I wasn't asking God, 
Will you send revival? I simply ask that God would father me at a deeper level than I'd ever experienced before. And within 10 meters of petitioning God, that prayer, he stopped me and he said, are you serious about that? And I said, yes, God, I want you to father me like I've never been fathered before. I walked up onto the platform down the, the, the stage and, and as uh, our guest ministry was starting to minister to people, the altars were fill, filled up and I began to move around and, and pray for people. And within five minutes, the single greatest encounter, no exaggeration, I can't really articulate it other than saying I felt like I'd been blasted with a Holy Ghost cannon. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And, and something hit me and came on me where I was no longer in control. And, and there was something within me up to that point that was always kept back, 0.001% control. Well, what would the guests think about this? Or what, what, what would my peers say about this? Or how's this going to look? I, I don't want to look like a fool, but you can't have revival and keep your dignity. I'm telling you, you can't ha- have a move of God and, and, and keep it under control. You either have God or you don't. And so I found myself out in the spirit. And when I sort of came to, uh, after about half an hour, this, meanwhile, the service is still continuing, full auditorium, uh, 900 odd people in the room, and it, it's starting to break out. And the Lord says, uh, I want you to get up. I said, God, I can't get up. And so I signaled to some of our team, three people were holding me up on the platform. And I said, I've got a confession to make. Now, when the pastor gets up on the platform and says, I've got a confession to make, you know, everyone starts going, oh, no. And so my wife hits the deck like, not today, Jesus. And uh, she's thinking I'm going to, you know, some scandal or something. And I I said, I repent of man-made control. As I said that, I said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. For the, I preached it, I, I've, I've read it, I've declared it, but on that day, it became a heart revelation. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And what hit me then hit the church, and 12 hours later, it did not let up. We have four services in our city location. That day we had one service that went for 12 hours. No one left. Everyone just kept coming. People were being called. Hey, they're on holidays an hour, an hour and a half away from Melbourne. You've got to come back to church. The Spirit of God has broken out. And it just, we would have an hour and a half of no music, but the most glorious outpouring of deliverances, healings, prophecies, moves of God the beauty and force of it. I've never seen it like it before. And since that day, since Super Bowl Sunday, we call Super Bowl Sunday, a wave of over 300 miracles have been recorded in our church. We record them on camera and we document them because, you know, there's a lot of people say a lot of things. We want to let people know genuine healings, miracles. As I said, seven cancer patients totally healed in Jesus' name, confirmed with scans. There was one man prayed for. He was blind in his left eye and he had no optic nerve. 
literally had had eye surgery where they pulled both eyes out to correct them. And in order to keep his left eye in place, they built in uh, flesh and all sorts of infrastructure around it to keep it in place. He could not see, prayed for, and a few days later was walking in downtown Chinatown and his left eye opened in Chinatown in Jesus' name. And he started to scream and scream. And his wife was there like, what the heck? He said, I can see out of my left eye. He was back in church a week later. We got him up and we tested it and he could read word for word Leviticus. I got Leviticus. He could read word for word Leviticus in Jesus' name. I want to tell you the day of miracles is not over. The same God who healed through Jesus is the same God who's healing today. We've seen people come in with fractured patellas who were ready. Literally, this guy was ready to sue the the doctors for malpractice and negligence for what took place. And he came in with a fractured patella and all sorts of work on his anterior cruciate ligament. And he got so radically healed that not only did he leave his crutch at the altar, but he no longer could do a lawsuit to to the doctors and to the people. And he's like, what am I going to do now? Well, bro, you got healed in Jesus' name. We literally have 20 to 30 pastors every single revival night flying in. People are now flying in from international, interstate. We've had buses of young people, youth ministries coming in. And, and we, we've had Catholic priests come, s- literally try and, you know, uh, try and hide away in the congregation. And, and one of our prophets got up and, and got a word for a Catholic priest and no one responded. And she's like, I know God's uh, speaking to a Catholic priest here. And finally, this guy at the back waves his hand and he comes down. He gets totally baptized in the Holy Ghost, totally transformed. We've seen Anglican vicars, we've seen Baptist pastors, we've seen people who are just hungry for the presence of God. It cannot be a work of man. It has to only be a divine encounter. And so over these weeks and over years of studying this and looking at this, there are a few things that I I just want to pass on to you. And I don't have time to do this teaching justice because I really want to go back into encounter and minister to people, but I do believe that there is a few things in this uh, prophet, in this text that you and I need to understand about how do we prepare for revival? Because I don't believe that, uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm not here interested in just having another good meeting. It's an honor to be here, and thank you for inviting me and welcoming me here, but I'm not here just, I, I preach, uh, I spent six years on the road, 47 weekends a year, true story, traveling the world. I've been in, one year I preached 352 times. Uh, I, 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 I've, I've seen a lot. I'm not interested in just going somewhere just for another good weekend. But I believe your nights of fire are prophetic declaration for what is about to break out in this church. What is about to break out in this region? What is about to break out in this movement? I'm telling you, C3 needs another move of God. C3 needs a revival. It cannot just be a good meeting. It cannot. We need you, God, in all of your fullness and purity. You be careful what you name your church, Powerhouse. This better be a house of power. 
So sit down. You get me excited, all right? I want to give you a few, few keys that will unlock, a few keys. You, you don't determine revival. I don't determine revival. God does. But you and I prepare for it. What's one of the things? The first thing is honor. Honor is foundational. What does verse 14 say? It says, remove every obstruction from my people's way. One of the greatest obstacles to revival is our lack of honor for God moving on his terms. We're okay with God moving on our terms. We're okay with God fitting into our nice, neat little boxes. But we definitely don't want God to begin to move outside of our paradigms, outside of our understanding. And yet the Bible says, my thoughts aren't your thoughts, and my words aren't your words, uh, and my ways, sorry, aren't your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts, so are my ways. So if that's true, then how many of us know sometimes God's going to do something outside of your paradigm? outside of your thinking, outside of the ways of even conventional church. And one of the things that often has to be removed is our lack of honor for God moving on His terms. I, I say at pastors and leaders conferences, many leaders are content to build a great church, but are not contending for a great move of God. Those two things are not the same thing. You can build a great church. There are a lot of great churches in Australia, praise God but not necessarily as seeing a genuine move of the Holy Spirit. You think about when in Luke 4, when Jesus uh, read out his job description, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news, etc., etc. And the Bible says that his peers, those he grew up with, were amazed at the words coming out of his mouth. And as Jesus said today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing all of a sudden their over-familiarity begins to kick in their dishonor for who Jesus is and, and, and was declaring himself to be kicked in. And they said, isn't this Joseph's son? They began to dishonor the move of God and what God was wanting to do through Jesus at that time. And the Bible says that Jesus said, no prophet is without honor except in his own hometown. And the Bible says that Jesus could not do many mighty miracles there why? Because where there is a lack of honor, there is also unbelief. And what we don't honor in, in people, in each other, in the grace of God upon people's lives, let alone for how God is moving, will actually partner with unbelief and begin to uh, cause us to step back and retreat from that posture of faith that releases miracles into the atmosphere. Many people would rather be an expert in the old thing rather than a novice in the new thing. I hang out with leaders all the time and they're content to sort of be the expert in what God was doing. But I believe one of the key words in this hour is Isaiah 43, 19, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now, everybody say now. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I'll make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So one of the first things that you and I need to understand is the power of honor. Honor is foundational. Secondly, holiness is essential. What begins with honor must be stewarded through holiness. What does the scripture say, verse 15? 
God says, my name is holy and I dwell in the high and holy place. When God's Spirit inspires Peter to write in 1 Peter 1.15, Be holy as I am holy. What's he talking about? He's talking about a calling back to reorientate back to the nature of God. How many of us know the Spirit is still holy? Now, holiness has been given a bad rap in our culture because we've equated holiness with sucking lemons. Do you know what I'm talking about? where we, we equate it to be, you know, sort of raining on your parade and being a bit of a prude and, and, and you're miserable. But God intended holiness to be the happiest expression on earth. And if you're trying to be holy through your works and your efforts, no wonder you look like you're spiritually constipated all the time. But, 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 but when you are actually growing in Christ's likeness and holiness through the enabling power of the Holy Spirit and of God's grace, not through your works, it's a joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's beautiful. It's happy. And let me tell you something. When the holiness of God comes close to you, particularly in a move of God, everything that is unholy gets exposed. You say, where's that in, in the early church? Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. The holiness of God is breaking out. The move of God is taking place. And Ananias and Sapphira choose to withhold that which is God's or that which they said was being fully dedicated. And they ended up, New Testament, losing their lives. Because when you and I, in a move of God, encounter the holiness of God, don't be surprised if there's some conviction of sin in your own life. I remember as a youth pastor back in 2002, crying out to God for revival and youth ministries across Australia. I'd booked in about six weeks of traveling around doing ministry. I was praying God, revive, move, signs and wonders. And as I'm praying, the Spirit of God says to me, take back the weights. And I'm like, yeah, the Bible says lay aside the weights and the sin which easily, you know, clings to you. And okay, whatever weights are holding me down, God, I just, you know, I'm going to lay aside the weights. And he says, no, take back the weights. And immediately an image and a vision appears in front of me of me 10 years before when I was in high school in 1992, temporarily borrowing, should I say, stealing the weights from the high school gym at Parade Catholic College. Yes, this pastor's kid. Some of you coveted Ferraris, other people, I coveted weights in the high school gym. And I fully intended after my, you know, 12-week program, I was going to take those things back. Ten years later, I'm now a man of God. I'm now married. I'm now, uh, you know, our first child is being born. And, and I'm now, you know, everyone's looking to the youth pastor who's wrestling with flesh and blood. And, and they're, they're looking. I love you, bro. You're an easy target then. And, uh, and, and, and I'm now praying God, you know, now prophecies coming, all these things. And the Lord's like, take back the weights. And I realized I'd forgotten they were gathering dust in my mum and dad's garage. I hadn't taken them back. And here I am praying for an almighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, go fix that area of your life up. Before I answer that, this needs to be resolved. 
And often you and I have things in our heart. And to cut a long story short, basically, I, I felt like that school kid 10 years before who'd taken the weights. I loaded the car up. I pulled into the car park of the church and I'm dra- of the school and I'm dragging the weights across the front car park and I went and explained myself to the receptionist. She had a chuckle, showed amazing grace. And the next six weeks, I saw the greatest outpouring in my youth ministry. I saw the greatest outpouring on the road. Conviction of the Holy Spirit isn't an inconvenience to your lifestyle of sin. Conviction is a gift. Welcome it. Because if you truly want to be used by God, you truly want to actually see an outbreak of revival on the Sunshine Coast, you're going to get confronted. I said to our team, after on Super Bowl Sunday, after I came to three hours later, The Spirit of God opened a scroll to me and for literally no exaggeration, the next 80 minutes, they held a phone to my mouth as I prophesied the next 25 years of our church. 80 minutes straight. My EA was like, you know, trying to get all the points down. It was like an anointing had to come upon him just to get everything down. Because literally like an open scroll, I just saw it on a teleprompter just coming down, just coming down, just coming down. And the team gathered around and they had to hold me up because I was that overcome by the spirit of prophecy that I could not stand or sit without support. And so I want to tell you, and I said to the team, I said, get ready for the greatest confessions of sin you've ever heard in this church. And I said, people who you think are pristine clean will start confessing scandalous sins to you. Because when the holiness of God, when we encounter the holiness of God, It brings us to a place of repentance and brokenness and humility. And it's not God exposing. It's actually God's kindness leading us to repentance and bringing us to a place where He can truly cleanse His church because He's coming back for a pure and spotless bride in Jesus' name. How is He going to do that? He's going to revive His church. So honor is foundational. Holiness is essential and humility is required. The Bible says in verse 15, I dwell also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. And it's no David when he was praying the prayer after he committed adultery and murdered Uriah. He said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. There is something about humility that God is drawn to, that God is attracted to. God is not impressed by your talent. He gave you your talents. He's not impressed by your giftings. He gave you your giftings. He's not impressed by you moving in the anointing. He gave you the anointing. He's not impressed by how well you're building your business. He loves you regardless of all those things. But what he is drawn to is childlike humility. Unless you become like a little child, you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Unless you and I uh, take on the posture of a humble little child with all of their naivety and we say, God, I'm so hungry for you and I humble myself, we won't see the outpouring of the Spirit like maybe we would desire or we'd even sort of contend for. How many of us know the Bible says, James 4, 6, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. I just use simple logic. Isn't there enough resistance in life without God resisting you? Like, true story. There is enough resistance in life just waking up in the morning and going and having a morning coffee 
without God resisting you. So why would we contend? Why would we still operate or or become stubborn or hard-hearted or begin to assume a posture of superiority over people? I'm telling you, you're only inviting the resistance of God in your life. But I tell you, when you humble yourself, and by the way, never ask God to humble you. Whenever someone in our church or ministry starts to pray, God, oh Lord, would you humble us? I just distance myself about five, ten meters because lightning is about to come any moment. Never that God never said pray that prayer. That's a silly prayer. He said, humble yourself. Which means, and he gave an example, which means when you're at a banquet or you're at a conference or at a meeting, and rather than assuming to take the highest seat, take the lowest seat and allow someone else to show honor and bring you forward. When it comes, defer to the interests of others and don't just talk about your own interests. It's amazing how attractive humility is to a broken world. In a world right now, we're in the media, there's all sorts of scandals, all sorts of dirt being thrown against the church, and it's not helpful for any one of us. Could it be that this is the very time that in humility and in love, we demonstrate to the world the goodness and grace and kindness of God, and we move in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power that they say, surely God is in your midst. Surely God is awesome in this place, and we didn't know it. So there's, there's honor. There, there, is, there is holiness, there is humility, and lastly and most importantly, there is hunger. My favorite revival passage in Proverbs, who would have thought that you'd see revival in Proverbs, is Proverbs 27.7. And it says this, one who is full loathes honey, but to one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. Do you know the first sign of the morbidly sick? I used to be a police officer, used to go into all sorts of crime scenes, um, have to deal and investigate and situations involving suicides, car accidents, all sorts of conspicuous sort of uh, death under suspicion, all this sort of thing. And, And even my own mother who died six years ago on Mother's Day weekend, of a lung disease that she had for 27 years, a fiery woman of God, preached the gospel, all her ministry, and uh, broken heart. My sister ended up in prison with attempted armed robbery. And all, I've got an amazing story in my family, but, but I saw my mom over several weeks just begin to lose her hunger. The first sign of the morbidly sick is you lose your hunger. The first sign of a complacent Christian is they lose their hunger for God. First sign of someone who is an unhealthy believer, toxicity, is they lose their hunger for the things of the Spirit. That is why I never listen to a complacent Christian about what God is apparently doing or not doing right now on the earth. I don't trust a non-hungry believer to tell me what God is doing or not doing right now. But who am I going to listen to? Who am I going to lean into is someone who has such a childlike hunger, such a thirst. Bless, Jesus says, are those who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Do you realize there's a blessing on hunger? There's a blessing on thirst. And it comes with a promise, you shall be filled. I mean, talk about go to the bank, promise. 
You are going to be filled. There is a blessing when you get hungry. And frankly, I'm at a point right now, I'm seven weeks into this, baby. I'm at a point I really, frankly, don't care what my hunger looks like to anybody else. Because what my I've experienced is not theory. It's tested. It works. I have miracles in testimony after testimony to point to, to say this thing works. And if there is one thing that you cannot not have if you want revival, it is hunger. I remember as a kid, I used to go in to, to my grandparents when they were alive and say, Pop, I'm hungry. And, and, you know, and what I want is lollies. What I want is donuts with hot jam in it. What I want is sugar. I'm hungry. And he'd bring out, you know, like a loaf of bread or something, you know. And, and no, 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 I want, I want the lollies. I want this, I want that. And he'd begin to proceed to tell me a story from when he was in Papua New Guinea in World War II. And for 72 hours, he marched without food. And he said, was, and always, every story would finish. When you're hungry, you'll eat anything. And if you're thirsty, you'll drink anything. And then I'd be, you know, groveling, humble, yes, I'm just chewing on bread and, and, and drinking, you know, the 10th glass of water. And, and, but I'm telling you, when... when when you're hungry, when you're hungry for God, you see amazing good things in bad situations. But when someone is not hungry for God, it's amazing how they'll find the bad issue situation in a very good move of God. And they'll go, I'm not too sure that's how God works. I'm not too sure that's how God moves. I'm not too sure that that's really the real deal. I mean, it's a little bit emotional. I used to be one of those critics until it happened to me. And I got so blasted and bazookaed with a Holy Ghost cannon and lost all of my faculties, all of control in front of the entire church. I think on YouTube. And... Uh, and, 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 and I was at Bethel two Sunday nights ago, and the power of God hit me in that place. And, and Deborah Coombs, the assistant to the senior leaders there, dragged me, literally dragging me, literally dragging me down the front. And I'm, I'm dragging, I'm groaning. She brings me down the front. She just starts pulling leaders out of the church, come down, and they touch me and fall out in the Spirit of God. And I made a total Australian embarrassment of myself at Bethel Church Reading. I mean, it's like selling sand to the Arabs. It's like, you know, of all the places. But you know what? They honored it. They loved it. They welcomed it. They said in part, prophesy, because when you're hungry, you don't care what it looks like. You just want Jesus. You just want the Holy Ghost. You want it. You want it. You want it. And tonight, I believe that there is hunger in this room. On our way back, just a couple of, just literally last week, we went into LA and we went to Azusa Street, 1906, where William Seymour, the Azusa Street mission and the outpouring, we went and laid hands on the site that was there. It's messed up, that whole city. I don't know if you've been there, but it's messed up, it's broken. We started to prophesy minister over a cleaner that was in Azusa Street. In fact, the sign at Azusa Street says the cradle of Pentecostalism. You and I are here today on the sunny coast at a church called Powerhouse because of William Seymour in 1906. 
I am leading the church that in 1925, a nine-year prayer meeting started in 1916, three nights a week by C.L. Greenwood, was started, that birthed the Sunshine Revival, that birthed Richmond Temple, that birthed Pentecostalism in this nation. Smith Wigglesworth in 1927 preached in the pulpit of our church. There were that many crutches and medical equipment uh, because of the people healed that they put all of the crutches and wheelchairs under the platform that for in that building, which is around the corner from us, that any time a preacher would get up, they would come and preach in faith to believe that as God moved in the past, he can do it again. And so we're at Azusa Street. We prophesy over this guy and he says, hey, you need to go to Bonnie Bray House. Bonnie Bray House, for those who may not know the history, is the house where William Seymour got baptized in the Holy Spirit in a prayer meeting. And so we go around there. I knew a little bit about that history, didn't know about it. And we went around there, parked the car. It's all locked up. Little house, still in its original sort of design from 1904, 1905. Just a few little renovations with concrete around the outside. But the house, the floorboards, the dining set, the walls, it's all the original house. And so it's all locked up. You've got to make an appointment weeks in advance to even get in. And it's like a heritage listed place. So we're there at the front, we start praying. And as we're praying, the front door opens, no word of a lie. And out comes what we came to know as Mama Soul, the custodian and caretaker of the house. And she said, I come here, literally at the front door, she's calling out to us, I come here in a Mexican accent. I come here every day and I pray at this house and I only open the door to those who've made a reservation and appointment. But the Spirit of God, I heard your voices and I said, I'm not opening the door to you. And the Spirit of God says, you must open the door to these people. My favor is upon them. She opens the door to us. This literally happened just over a week ago. Five of our team, we all went up. We went into the room where, and literally I laid on the, on the floorboards where William Seymour got baptized in the Holy Spirit in 1906. And we had a prayer meeting for 30, 40 minutes. The power of God came upon us. Then she told us Catherine Kuhlman's pulpit was in the room next door, the healing evangelist of the 20th century. So after, you know, a prayer, we went in and we pulpit sucked that anointing out of that thing, I'm telling you. She's like, go right ahead, go right ahead. And, 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 and we're praying and, and, and she's getting paper towels because we're sobbing and the Spirit of God came on us and I said, God, because this lady lived in this house for 20 years and she's just dripping of the anointing and, 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 and I said, God, would you get her to lay hands upon my head and impart this anointing of this house? And we got up. And she wasn't happening. And it was too holy a moment for me to say, please, can you please, I felt like a little kid, can you please lay hands on my head? I'm like, no, Lord, if this is you, if this is what you want to do today, you've got to prompt her heart. And we sowed a seed into her ministry and into her life. She grabbed my hands. And as she grabbed my hands, the power of God hit me once again. I hit the deck. She laid hands upon my head. And for the next hour and a half, I, I sobbed and shook in the presence and the power of God. Such was the anointing that came upon us in that time. And then uh, as I'm shaking and rattling and rolling and sobbing into the next room, there was a man from India. This all happened just last week. I'm telling you, it's crazy. 
There's a dude from India who'd booked weeks in advance. He flew in that day to LAX. He catches a cab to Bonnie Bray House to get his appointment. She opens the door to him. He comes in. He's in the same room. Catherine Cormor's pulpit's here. He's here. I'm here. And the Lord says, now turn to him and prophesy. He's come here. I'm going to give him something. I turn, I lay hands upon him. And I said, the Lord says, he's going to give you the 10,000 souls that you've been asking for. He hits the deck, begins to sob. And as we head out the front doors, he comes out and he grabs me and he says, I flew all the way from India to Bonnie Bray House to ask God to give me 10,000 souls for my ministry. And he said, you've just prophesied it. I'm telling you, this thing called revival, this thing called Holy Spirit is real. And so right now, I want to invite you to stand to your feet. And and I believe tonight there is going to be an impartation. There's an impartation of faith. And and I know we're going to go and eat and party and have fun and do all that we've got to do. But I'm telling you right now, maybe the band can come. I'm telling you right now in this moment. And this altar call is a little bit like who loves their mum come to the front. Okay, I get it. I get it. Everyone's like, yep, I'm there. You know what I mean? Right? But seriously, who loves their mum? You know what I mean? Seriously. It doesn't matter whether you what's happening right now in our church. Literally, it doesn't matter whether you're up the front or up the, uh, up the back. Because when the glory breaks out, the power of God touches you wherever you're at. But as many as can, you say, God, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry for your presence. I'm hungry, oh God, for you to father me. I'm hungry for revival. I'm hungry, oh God. If that's you, get out from where you are. Come and kneel at the front. Come and stand at the front. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you kneel. I don't care if you stand. I don't care what you do. Come, 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 come with hunger. Come with an appetite, come and say, Lord, I'm crying out to you. And I want to invite you to begin to cry out to God. I want to invite you to get hungry, to get desperate. Even if you just need to occupy the first few rows here and just get on your knees and just move chairs. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter. There's no, there's no set order. There's not so, set plan. But I believe the Lord wants to impart something to you tonight. And we're going to pray, and, and I'm going to pray over you, and I, I, we're going to sing over you, and the team is going to lead us in worship. But tonight, this isn't about me leading you. It's about you getting hungry for God. It's about you getting so sick and, with, and discontented with only encountering God once a week, once a month, once a quarter at nights of fire, that you say, God, not for me any longer. I'm so hungry for you. I'm so desperate for you. I'm asking you, oh God, that you would come and meet the hunger of people's hearts tonight. That you would come, oh God, and you would pour out your spirit in this room. I'm asking, oh God, for an outbreak of signs and wonders. And Lord, right now, I ask as we pray and as we hunger after you, O God, I'm asking God for an impartation, O God, of this spirit of revival, Father, that you placed upon my life. 
I'm asking, oh God, that you would place it upon my brother, that you would place it, oh God, upon this house, that you would place it upon the C3 movement, Father. Lord, you've done it once. We're asking you to do it again. Father, you've done it once. We're asking you to do it again. Come on, I want you to begin to cry out to God. Come on, as we sing, cry out to God. Forget the person next to you. You're going you're gonna to get set free of the fear of man. You're going to get set free of the fear of man. Let it rain, 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 let it rain. Let it rain.